You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. SolarWinds addresses a zero day that was exploited in the wild. A watering hole campaign lures users of online gaming sites into authentic accounts now suspended. Get a blue check mark. TrickBot is back with new capabilities. The dark side hits fashion retailer Guess. Malek Ben Salem from Accenture on remediation of vulnerabilities using AI. Our guest is Jeff Williams from Contrast Security with a look at application security and financial services. And some updates on Kaseya, its customers, and the current state of our evil. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, July 13th, 2021. SolarWinds is addressing a zero day unrelated to last year's widespread sunburst exploitation of its services for cyber espionage. Ars Technica reports. SolarWinds, which credits Microsoft with alerting it to the problem, has issued an update to fix the vulnerability in its file transfer software. The company said, quote, The vulnerability exists in the latest ServeU version 15.2.3HF1 released May 5, 2021, and all prior versions. A threat actor who successfully exploited this vulnerability could run arbitrary code with privileges. An attacker could then install programs, view, change, or delete data, or run programs on the affected system, end quote. The vulnerability has been exploited in the wild by at least one threat actor, the record reports, but neither SolarWinds nor Microsoft have said when, where, or by whom. A watering hole campaign affecting some online gambling sites based in China is serving up either Cobalt Strike Beacons or the Biopass Rat, which Hacker News describes as a hitherto undocumented Python-based backdoor. The site's support chat pages are infested with lures to induce the unwary to download the malware. Hacker News writes, quote, The attack involves deceiving gaming website visitors into downloading a malware loader camouflaged as a legitimate installer for popular but deprecated apps, such as Adobe Flash Player or Microsoft Silverlight, only for the loader to act as a conduit for fetching next-stage payloads. End quote. Trend Micro warned of the campaign in a report issued Friday. The Daily Dot rounds up tweeted reports about six accounts that received Twitter's coveted blue checkmark, but which appear to be bogus. The accounts appeared roughly simultaneously last month, 
shared many of the same followers, each having about a thousand, used either stock images or pictures generated by AI as their profile pictures, and had done very little actual tweeting. Twitter user Conspirador Norteño, identified as a data scientist interested in disinformation, posted that, quote, Very few of the accounts in this network have tweeted. The majority of the tweet content is spam in Korean, sent via automation service DLVR.IT promoting a website. End quote. Twitter has revoked the account check marks and suspended the accounts as inauthentic. Quote, we have now permanently suspended the accounts in question and removed their verified badge under our platform manipulation and spam policy. End quote. Blue-checked accounts have long been coveted by bad actors, but they've typically sought to get access to them by compromising legitimate accounts. Getting such verification for purely bogus, inauthentic accounts is unusual, and Stanford Internet Observatory's Alex Stamos commented that a bribed insider might have served as the conduit for the checkmark, quote, You might have a malicious or bribed insider. Something similar happened at Instagram, paid off by scammers in that case, he tweeted. TrickBot, the Russophone cybercriminal network heavily involved in ransomware, has returned, the Daily Beast reports. TrickBot and the gang behind it, Wizard Spider, had been disrupted in October of 2020 by U.S. Cyber Command and various industry actors, Microsoft prominent among them. It's now resurfaced with a new virtual network computing module that Bitdefender describes as including new functionalities for monitoring and intelligence gathering. The renewed TrickBot seems involved in creating the Diavol ransomware strain Fortinet described earlier this month. The resurgence is an example of the resilience of criminal organizations, which survive both takedowns and arrests of some key figures. Whatever restraints Moscow's commitment to legality have placed on ransomware gangs don't appear to have put the dark side entirely out of business. It's been disclosed that the gang has hit fashion retailer Guess, ZDNet reports. Guess has been relatively tight-lipped about the incident beyond saying that customer pay card data was not compromised during the February exposure, but that other information, notably employee data, was exposed. Bleeping Computer notes that Guess hasn't said which group was behind the attack, but the dark side had already counted coup by listing the retailer among its victims. Kaseya has completed addressing the three vulnerabilities R-Evil exploited at the beginning of the month. ThreatPost summarizes the fixes, and IGI places them in perspective. Customers continue what VentureBeat calls their long slog to recovery. The general consensus is that R-Evil operates with at least the knowledge of, and probably with the tacit approval and encouragement of, the Russian government— the joint enforcement action the U.S. has requested of Russia has not materialized, GovInfo security notes. Moscow is standing on ceremony as it expresses its commitment to the rule of law, as the register puts it, with a straight face. But so far, there are few, if any, signs of Russian authorities taking action against the gangs that operate with impunity from its territory. We'll continue to follow developments and operations against our evil, dark side, and other ransomware gangs— with particular attention paid to Russian enforcement actions, if any such appear, and U.S. retaliation, again, should any such appear. 
One preliminary report tweeted this morning by Recorded Futures' Alan Liska says that our evil's sights have been down since 1 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, which would be 8 a.m. Moscow Time. It is, of course, too early to know what to make of this, whether it's a temporary tactical occultation, whether it's a system failure, whether the gang is absconding, whether Russian authorities have told the gang to chill for a while, whether those same authorities have actually taken action in conformity with their public commitment to the rule of law and the responsibilities of sovereignty, or whether some foreign cyber organization has reached into Russia. All of these are possibilities. Some are more likely than others. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. Quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Application security firm Contrast Security recently published their 2021 State of Application Security in Financial Services report, exploring the strengths and weaknesses in the apps many of us use to manage our personal and professional finances. Jeff Williams is co-founder and chief technology officer at Contrast Security. Everybody uses applications for just about everything that's important in their lives, and not much is more important than financial institutions. So where you bank, where you store your money, where you get your insurance, all those things use a massive amount of applications. In fact, those companies are some of the largest software development organizations in the world. 
And so we thought it'd be useful to study them, find out what they think about their application security efforts, where they're weak, where they're strong, and publish the results. Where do financial services organizations stand when it comes to addressing the specific challenges that they face with their application development? Well, they almost all have a program in place. So they'll have a small team of experts, uh, sometimes a large team of uh, folks, and they use tools, they scan their applications. But I would say most of them, I think, are really sort of more focused on uh, a compliance kind of approach, like enforcing application security rules, rather than actually making real progress on securing applications. And so what we found in the study was some you know, disturbing facts about application security in financials. Well, take us through some of the things that you uh, explored here. Well, the big thing that jumps out at me from this study is that when we ask them about whether they've been actually breached through their applications, this is not network breaches. We're not talking about ransomware or email attacks or anything. Just through their web applications and web APIs, 98% admitted that they had at least three successful application exploits in the past year. That, to me, is, is shocking. And more than half of them, 52%, saw 10 or more successful attacks over the last 12 months. That's a terrifying level of a, attack. I mean, there's hundreds, thousands of financial institutions out there, and they're all getting attacked at a very high rate successfully. And it's, not, it's way more than what you read about in the newspaper, for sure. Can you give us a little perspective on that? I mean, what, what's the range? When we talk about an attack on one of these organizations, a successful attack, can you give us a, a range of the, the spectrum or, you know, are, are we t how serious are they? How concerned should we be? Yeah, so one thing we asked about was the cost of each of these breaches. And 99% of respondents in organizations with more than 15,000 employees, which is a, a substantial portion of this survey, put the cost of each attack at more than a million dollars. So when we're talking about, you know, 10 a year, that's a million dollars each time. Are they seeing this as, as a cost of doing business to, to some degree, or how are they coming at this? Well, I, you know, I, I think they all want to do better. They certainly don't want to have successful breaches against them because, you know, any one of these breaches could be much more serious than a million dollars. So, I, you know, I hope that they haven't resigned themselves to thinking of this as a cost of doing business because it's very preventable. Now, the organizations that are effective here, who are doing a good job, are, are there things that you find that they have in common? Yeah, I think we see well-structured AppSec programs that focus on what matters. They use threat modeling. They've automated as much as possible of application security so that their teams can make code changes, push them into their pipeline. The pipeline does all the security testing, and they're cleared to go into production with a high degree of confidence that what they've written is secure. Teams that struggle are much more manual-oriented. You know, they do pen testing maybe a few times a year. They don't do it on all of their applications. They haven't really standardized their approach on application security. So I think that's one huge thing that, that teams can do to get better. That's Jeff Williams from Contrast Security.
And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Malek Ben-Salem. She is the Technology Research Director for Security at Accenture. Malek, it's always great to have you back. Um, you know, I want to touch base with you on application security. Um, you know, we've seen uh, the recent executive order come down from uh, the presidential administration. And I know that's something that you and your team are working on. Uh, specifically, can we touch today on optimizing security scanning? Yeah, sure. Uh, Thanks for having me back, Dave. Um, Yeah, with the executive order, I think there has been calls for even more scanning, more application scanning, and performing various types of scans. Uh, You know, the the static application security tests or SAST, DAST scans, IAS scans, etc. But we know that these scans generate loads of findings uh, that developers may not be able to respond to in a timely manner, or they may not be able to respond to at all, right, especially for uh, the vulnerabilities that are not that critical. So uh, what we wanted to do is to help these development teams prioritize what they need to respond to, and um, we do so by... uh, you know, several optimizations. Uh, Number one, we uh, generate some exploitability rankings for these vulnerabilities so that uh, the teams respond to the findings that have the highest exploitability. And some of the the existing uh, scanning tools do provide that, but, but we take it to the next level by adding some additional information about the vulnerabilities, such as um, their exploitability over time, uh, their their past exploitability, but also, you know, these are scores that are available through the uh, the MVD database, right? Through the mm. uh, their um, common vulnerability scoring system, uh, they do provide some of these scores, such as the impact of the of the vulnerability and its exploitability, but it's based on the likelihood of that vulnerability being exploited. What we add is uh, threat intelligence information about whether that, whether that vulnerability has been actually exploited, whether we've seen POCs, right, proofs of concepts of that vulnerability being exploited, and how many of them do we see. Now, we also uh, include information about the, the vulnerability notability. Uh, so if um, vulnerability is gaining notability uh, in the media, that means... Uh, it either has been used or is very likely to be used by malicious actors. Hmm. By combining all of these scores, we come up with with better exploitability rankings for these vulnerabilities that application teams and uh, application development teams and security teams can uh, can use to prioritize which uh, vulnerabilities they, they need to mitigate or remediate first. So is it part of the, the notion here that you're providing um, a lot more context to the information that they're getting? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is key for these teams who are very time constrained. The second thing we do actually is identify any correlated vulnerabilities or in some cases any false positives that the, the scanning tools generate. We have realized that a lot of the vulnerabilities being found are actually false positives that, you know, teams do not have necessarily to respond to. Uh, and so we, we do some triaging to help these teams, and we do that through uh, different techniques. Number one, 
We look at duplicates within the same scan. So we review the same scan, identify if there are any vulnerabilities that have been reported twice or more, and we remove those so that the teams you know, respond to fixing the vulnerability just once. Mm. Um, we correlate uh, findings between different types of scans. So we take the, the SAS scan and the DAS scan, and we try to identify if there are vulnerabilities reported in the same scan that are actually the same vulnerability. Again, this would help the team just respond to one, right? Mitigate just one instead of responding twice to, to these vulnerabilities reported differently on two different reports. Hmm. And then the third thing, we do correlation between scans. So what I talked about um, uh, between scans in different time windows, right? So, so earlier I talked about correlating vulnerabilities between SAST and a DAS scan, and that's at one, uh, you know, snapshot. Um, but, you know, sometimes uh, we can correlate a scan done, let's say, a week ago with a scan that has been done today and look at the, the correlations between the vulnerabilities between scans and remove any false positives that have been identified in the previous scan so that we don't have to uh, respond to it again or analyze it in the, the current scan. And what we found out is that we can uh, identify between 50 and 80% of these false positives, and we're able to save about 64% of the security analysts' time as they are reviewing these findings from the scans and other, as they are trying to triage them. Uh, and this can be all enabled through um, uh, artificial intelligence. Now, that's fascinating. I mean, obviously, you know, nothing is perfect. And, and uh, I, I suspect, you know, that the AI is not perfect as well. But, I mean, is the system constantly feeding back on itself so that it, as over time the, the results that, that it generates are also improving? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is constantly learning and it's constantly applying or contextualizing information for particular clients because we know that the uh, development environment for one one of our clients may be different from another client Um, so we are optimizing that learning per client environment yeah interesting all right well fascinating stuff Uh, malek ben salam thanks for joining us thank you dave That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.